We're in Hebrews chapter 10 and 11 today, and I'm going to, as has been my habit, read parts of the scripture um, as the reading of the scripture, and then I'm going to utilize parts of it as illustrations, because I believe that's how the writer of Hebrews uh, spoke and wrote, wrote his book. Assume it's a he, we don't know. So I'm in chapter 10, and I'm going to read verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to move to verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I'm going to move to chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now I'm going to move to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. There in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, since sense. And then let us, let us. The writer of Hebrews is, I think, the original fire and brimstone preacher. Though James is pretty aggressive in how he makes his points, particularly about money, uh, I think the preacher who wrote this book, I think James had nothing on him in terms of energy, in terms of exhorting. You know that word? It's, it's important because it's all throughout the New Testament. Encour it's strong encouragement in light of who God is and the promises of God. This preacher was a fire. He wouldn't have been Presbyterian. I mean, he would have read Romans and been like, yeah, they're right theologically, but I've got to preach this way. You know, you know what I'm saying? There are, there are Presbyterians who preach that way. 
And the reason is he wanted the people reading the book and hearing the book read again to sense the confidence that they have because of who Jesus is. Therefore, since, since, let us. And what's the effect? Is that we actually know and know and know that we're his and he is ours today and eternally. How do you receive that? Some of you are like, I don't feel assured. I don't feel assured that God loves me and likes me. That because of the work of Christ referenced all, all throughout the book of Hebrews, that I'm his and he is mine, and I receive that. And I'm good forever. I don't feel that way. Well, then he's reminding you of basic Christian stuff. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the new and living way, and since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What does that mean? Among other things, it means prayer. I hope that you pray regularly. I hope that you know multiple ways of praying. And as we pray, we don't become more saved, but we do receive in greater measure assurance of Christ in our life. What does it mean to hold fast our confession? Study. Engage our mind with the things of Christ. What does it mean to love, to, to stir up one another to love and good works? It means we take care of one another. Which means the church. Your service to the church. However anemic it may feel to you on certain days is a very significant part of the flourishing of the Bride of Christ. The alternative community that is the followers of Jesus, wherever they find themselves. It's incredibly significant. And corporate worship, there it is. Chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it's tricky to preach this in the midst of a pandemic because you're afraid and your fear is legit. Many of you are not going to come to church either because of that fear or because you're so sick of wearing a mask, and I get it. And yet you must stay connected. You must. Because of what you receive through staying in touch with the corporate body that Christ has given you. Your spiritual family is more important than your biological family. Your spiritual family it takes precedence over your other allegiances, in fact, changes them to a different level of allegiances. And what you receive from that, among other things, is the assurance, the confidence that becomes a follower of Christ. So the writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about Jesus, is incredibly theological. And when he's talking about you, he goes all fire and brimstone. He goes exhortational. Do you know the difference? Like I said it earlier, like he's, he's giving you stern, strong encouragement about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So then, picking up in verse 26, it's the screen is just going to give you verse 27, which is, again, another mistake that I made, but I'm going to start reading in verse 26. So the writer is going to switch from talking about Jesus to talking about you, and he's going to be stern. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, I told you this fire and brimstone. Did you believe me? Have you read Hebrews before? This preacher wants people to understand that when you stop acting like a Christian, it harms you and it harms the community. Salvation came to you if you're a follower of Christ swiftly and it can never be taken away before you even thought about it. Look at the way he talks about Christ in verses 19 through 25. But the lasting assurance that you can receive as a follower of Christ comes through acting like a Christian. And the danger of uh, rejecting the guidance of God is not that you don't receive salvation, but all of the things in this life that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and the writer of Hebrews talks about here, and he's going to use this incredibly long example in chapter 11 to show us the benefit of the with God life here. So his stern warning doesn't take away the things he just said in verses 19 through 25, but gets our attention that to reject the guidance of God in our daily life harms us and it harms the community. I took this picture this morning. That's the, the picture on the left is uh, for one of our pastors who is, I believe, the longest tenured pastor of the church, uh, Don Haas, and there are a few beautiful leaves left there. And then there are trees all along the background, some of which our founders planted. Because verse 23 it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Why do we choose to act like a Christian? Why do we choose to pray and study and care for one another and not neglect corporate worship? Because God said to, and what happens to us and in us when we trust him so actively in our daily life. You're grown in stability of soul. Psalm 1 would liken you to a tree. Galatians 5 would describe you as a tree. The writer of Hebrews is going to flourish beyond tree metaphor, but when he says without wavering, that's the picture I get. We're confident as we suffer. As is so often the case in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews takes special pains both to talk about previous suffering and to let them know this is part of the Christian life. And it's so interesting to preach this in the United States in 2020. Though we're uh, grieving because of, of COVID specifically, and also we have acute, many, most of us, all of us, have acute griefs, we're not suffering the way that he's going to talk about, and yet the truths remain for us. Verse 32 through 36. You endured struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed, for you had compassion on those in prison. About 10, maybe 15 years ago, 
played in an alumni basketball game. Of course, I won. My team won. And I found out then that an old friend of mine is in prison. And every time I think about him, I think I should write him a letter, and he deserves to be in prison. Every time I think about him, I think about writing a letter, and because of you and the way that my... Um, I put things off, and I make terrible excuses. I know that's just me. You don't ever do that. But I've been waiting to write him a letter on nothing. I just keep forgetting or making excuses. Because of this text, and Matthew 25 specifically, I wrote him a letter. And now I need to send it. And you can ask me next week if I sent it, and watch the look on my face, because I'll probably have forgotten. But maybe, because I'm saying it to you, I'll remember. My point is, and you don't need, if you have friends in, in prison, maybe it's not your call to, to write them. Except that Jesus said we would care for those in prisons, and he didn't say, regardless of whether they deserve to be there. Now, the writer of Hebrews is talking about people that were imprisoned for their faith. That's not what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25. What's my point? Christians do odd things in the world's eyes. And that's part of our calling. That's part of the kingdom reality that we have the opportunity to bring to bear in the world. Uh, Carrie Reeves, who we hired to help us do outreach for the retreat center, I'm pointing at it, and I met with a man who works for Amira. And Amira is an organization that uh, helps women who have been trafficked re-enter the world slowly, wisely. They're experts in it. And his fiance works for International Justice Mission. And people look at them like, why are you so interested in justice? It's because they're followers of Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know the oddest thing that you've done because you were a Christian that was, in fact, Christian and Christian motivated. I don't know what it is. But I do know that we look odd to those that are not followers of Jesus or not yet followers of Jesus. And frankly, I want you to stay odd like verse 32 through 36 describe. You'll either get ignored or looked at weirdly, or maybe you'll even suffer because of the odd things that you choose to do as a Christian, whether it's forgive people that have caused you pain, whether it's reach out to those that you know that are in prison, or some other way. It will be odd, and we lean into that. Following those verses, the writer of Hebrews quotes... um, a couple of Old Testament verses, but especially Habakkuk, for my purposes of pointing out to you, as a, as, a, as a way of really emphasizing this sermonic letter. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is from Habakkuk 2. This is quoted three times in the New Testament. And let me just ruin a sermon point I was going to make in a month. I'll just make it again, and maybe it'll seem even more compelling then. God gave Moses 613 laws. In Psalm 15, David reduces it to 11. Not that he takes away the law, but he summarizes it. In Micah... Chapter 6, he summarizes the law in three ways. In Isaiah chapter 56, he summarizes it with two. And then Habakkuk with one. What we do 
in light of who God is and his call in our life is we live by faith. What does that actually mean? Go right back to verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 39 says, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. What does destroy mean? It means we lose the felt benefits of the kingdom. Remember when Jesus came and began preaching, he said, the kingdom is at hand. Paul defines the kingdom as righteousness, joy, and peace. God loves you so much, he would never give you the power to remove your salvation. You get to be with him forever if he has chosen you and you call him Lord. But he also loves you so much that he's giving you free will, and you can act like he doesn't exist, didn't promise you these things, and won't give you the full assurance of salvation. You can harm yourself by not participating in corporate worship, by not praying, by not studying the scriptures. That's what he means by destruction. Love is never controlling. And if you need me to, to unpack that for you in terms of how the gospel of Jesus and Hebrews chapter 10 applies to your life, well, maybe I'm giving you too much credit, but I think you know how this applies to every relationship in your life. We learn from God that love is not controlling. While he will never leave us or forsake us, he has given us free will and we can harm ourselves. And I know you know that. But here's the writer of Hebrews strongly encouraging us to act like Christians that we receive the stability of soul offered to Christians. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are confident as we suffer in faith. In chapter 11, we have this beautiful description of faith that is focused on the future. Faith is a present, active trust because of who God is and because of what he's promised into the future. That's both the definition given to us in 11, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. It's also many, many, many examples he gives. By faith, Abel. Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Abraham again. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people of Israel. By faith, the walls of Jericho. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Isn't the Bible a fun book? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. He references Daniel and a number of other prophets. Uh, when he references those who went about in the skin of sheep and goats, that's Elijah and Elisha. Uh, they're they're um, setting a precedent for John the Baptist. You wonder why he dressed so oddly and his diet was so odd. He learned that from Elijah and Elisha. He, the writer of Hebrews references one uh, prophet who was sawn in two. Uh, there are some extra-biblical sources that say that that was Isaiah, FYI. 
the rest of these examples, you might enjoy uh, using your concordance. I don't particularly like concordances because they distract me from reading the text, like when I'm reading, but for study, it's incredible the number of references the writer of Hebrews makes in chapter 11. And the reason is to encourage you to trust Jesus today because of what he has said about the future that he has secured for you, both in this life and in heaven and when he returns. Do you see the reference in chapter 10, the day? And here in chapter 11, that about the city, verses 13 through 16, there is a city. We trust Jesus with the past, that he knows all of it, and we trust him to help us seal what we can in this life and eventually to explain to us all of it. We trust him in the present, but the writer of Hebrews would not like it if I left it at that because the emphasis of chapter 11 is the future. And therein we're receiving the assurance. What does that assurance look like? Future trust in who he is and what he has for us. And we await our country. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Friends, this is true for us also. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's not an escapist remark. We're not to utilize it that way. We're to understand that we're strangers and exiles. There are benefits here and now to being a follower of Christ, but ultimately we're going to be treated as strangers and exiles because we are strangers and exiles because our citizenship is in heaven. The church of Jesus Christ is to be an alternative community. We are not citizens of the United States or whatever country you're from. That doesn't mean we don't... You know what strangers and exiles act like? The best citizens. They care for the community that they find themselves in. They garden. I'm serious. Jeremiah 29, before the verses that you've seen on all the pillows, it talks about how does an exile and a stranger behave. They seek the good of the city as they understand it. So I'm not talking about passivity. I'm talking about allegiance. And I want to say that your allegiance is first to God, but I think it's stronger than that. Your allegiance is actually only to God. And do you know what that means? Those of you that are upset about the election, you can trust Christ. And perhaps even realize you don't need to be that upset because you're not a citizen. You're a heavenly citizen. Those of you that are thrilled, perhaps some of that thrilledness is linked to, to a lack of understanding of those that are upset. As a stranger in an exile, we can actually understand something about those that are upset and something about those that are elated, and we are to be an alternative community to both of those. And I know I can't control how you feel. I, I do, I promise. But I also have this text here. And I have Peter calling you exiles. And I have God's commands in Jeremiah 29. And much of the rest of the Bible talking about how do we act in this time. And those of you that are upset, you can still be happy for your friends who are less scared than they were. 
Whether you think that fear is legitimate or not, as a Christian who's a stranger and in exile, you can be happy for them who are less scared. And those of you that are thrilled, you have friends who are not. And you can learn more about them. And that would be a profound Christian move on your part. I have learned a lot since 2016 about um, both sides of the aisle. And I'm increasingly convinced that Christians need to understand more profoundly than they do that we are to be an alternative community. And the reason that I talk about it 50-50 is not because I view it 50-50, but as Christians, we all have something to learn about what it means to be a loving and alternative community. What do exiles and strangers do as they await the day and the city and their true country? They worship God. They seek the good of the land that they find themselves in and those of the neighbor, of their neighbors. But it's not their core identity. They garden. Those of you that love to garden, look at Jeremiah 29. What an encouragement to garden. I'm not sure how much time you should spend on it. That's a wisdom question and something you work out with the people you live with. But I love that it's in there. Faith guides and assures us today because of who God is. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 39, and chapter 11, as an example of it, are about the utter reliability of God. We hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And as we continue to act like he's faithful, he continues to make us more and more into stable humans who love him and the neighbors we find ourselves in relationship with. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you deal with us patiently and kindly. We ask that we would receive the truth of your word as it speaks to us and encourages us until you return. And we no longer need your word because we will have you. Jesus, for those of us who are upset, draw near and help us understand our citizenship in heaven. For those of us that are elated, would you help us also to understand our citizenship in heaven and help us go back to your word to learn how strangers and exiles act and behave as Christians. And most importantly, Holy Spirit, would you help this church to be an alternative community of your grace and love? Amen.